this morning. And uh, Jeremy and Melissa, God has been doing a great work. We got to hear from you in Sunday school a little bit, just about the call on your life and where God's taking you. He's taking you uh, to Africa. He's taking you now to Japan. And uh, they are all about planting churches over in Japan and uh, raising up ministers and pastors. So I'm believing God for great things. So you're not going to want to miss out. This is one of those, you know, some of those messages you just kind of like lean back. And this is one you're going to want to like lean forward, right? Take some notes, listen up, because God's going to do some great things. And uh, so I'm just so thankful for this couple that God's calling uh, and uh, bringing them over to Japan. So Jeremy, would, would you come on up? And uh, God's given you a word that you get to share today. I'm looking forward to partnering with you and uh, continuing to pray for you because, man, our missionaries need prayer, right? They always need prayer. And so uh, be sure today before you leave to check out their table in the back. You guys have a lot of resources of just how you can stay connected and uh, how you guys can be praying for Japan. So would you give a special missionary welcome to Jeremy and Melissa? Morning. How are y'all doing? I just want to say it is incredible to be here. Um, Pastor Ben, Pastor Jody. Aberdeen has a reputation. The First Assembly AFA has a reputation. It is known as a missions church. And can I tell you that that is that is a reputation that's at the heart of God. It's at the heart of God. It's a, it means you're a church that's about the lost. And, and as a missionary, I value that. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you for, for obeying the Lord in that. So let's um, open up with a word of prayer, shall we? God, thank you so much that you pursued us. That 2,000 years ago, you left heaven and you put on flesh. And you learned to speak and you learned to eat. You humiliated yourself, Lord God, for, for the sake that the lost would be reached, Lord God. Father, I pray that this morning that we would tap into your heart, Lord God, that you would speak, your Holy Spirit would move and stir in this place, would renew the vision, renew the, the, the courage to go this morning. Amen. Well, um, it's, it's a joy to be here with you. I wish my children could be here with you always. Also, we have three wonderful little missionary children. This is Finn. Kai is our second, and the sweet, cute one in the middle, and she knows it. She's Raya. Um, right now, they're 10, 7, and 5. So they're just amazing children, but they, 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 they were claimed by the grandparents. So uh, my apologies. We wanted to bring them, but they couldn't be here. Um, but they are the joy of our life, and they are missionaries with us. Um, I want to start off this morning, if you would, by playing a game, all right? I'm a, I'm a child at heart. As much as I still get to be, I like to be. Um, and so I want to I wanna start off this morning just playing a simple game, all right? It, I'm going to describe a movie poorly, all right? I'm going to describe a movie poorly, and I want you to guess what it is, okay? We'll start off easy. We'll get a little bit harder. Let's see how you do. I'm kind of like taking notes for each congregation we visit. So, so the first movie, it's a ragtag team of misfits take a long walk to destroy a piece of jewelry. What movie is that? Lord of the Rings. There we go. Okay. All right. Let's take a, a slight step up. All right. An intrepid father and son go looking for a cup and run into Hitler along the way. Last Crusade. That's right. Ooh, he was quick on the draw. There we go. All right. Let's go a little bit harder here. A terrorist hitches a ride with a religious fanatic. 
and a smuggler to save a princess. I'm, I'm hearing what? Star Wars. That's right. A New Hope. Star Wars, A New Hope. All right, here's my favorite. A man ends world hunger with his rock collection. Yes, I think you're the first person to get that. Good job. <laughs> Avengers, Infinity, you know. All right, last one. A lost kid uses his wits to spoil a heist and capture an outlaw gang. Home Alone, that's right. Home Alone 2 is my favorite Christmas movie of all time. It's better than any Christmas movie. When I was a kid growing up, I would fast forward that part to where he's about to chuck the brick through the window, and I would just watch it over and over and over. I thought it was hilarious. You know, it, some of these movies, you watch them and it brings back so many memories, right? You know, maybe you, you're like my dad and you saw Star Wars when it released at the movie theater. You know, but as, as an adult, sometimes I watch a movie and I'm like, Ah, it kind of feels different now. I don't know if I have that same sort of joy there, or maybe I have some checks in my heart about that. Like, take Home Alone 2, for example. You know, Home Alone 2 is about a, a, a kid who gets on the wrong plane with all of his dad's credit cards and cash, flies to New York, and then lives his own life for two weeks. You know, I have a 10-year-old, and I would be terrified. And I don't, I don't think it would go as, uh, as it did in the movie. Um, you know, I remember when we first flew into Tokyo. Tokyo, if you don't know, it's, it's one of the largest cities in the world, the metropolitan area, about 40 million, roughly. 40 million, that's a lot of people, right? And, and so Narita Airport, you fly in, and there's just people everywhere. And we, when we got there, our kids were three, five, and seven. And Melissa gets off the plane, looks around, grabs one hand for the three-year-old, one hand of the five-year-old, she tells the seven-year-old, grab my backpack. Do not let go, Right? Because what would you do? What would you do if your child was to, to get away in the midst of the sea of humanity? You know, we didn't understand Japanese that well at that point. Reading the signs was still a little bit hard. Our phones weren't on yet. You know, what would you do if you lost your child in that airport? You know, watching this movie Home Alone, I'm like, ah, I'm getting a little PTSD here. I think every parent understands that feeling, right? You understand that feeling of that, that rock in the bottom of your stomach, that, that, that kind of feeling sick of worry over your children. You know, we were in Nebraska this last summer in Alliance, western Nebraska, in the Panhandle. My parents, they pastor a church out there, and we were having dinner with them around the dinner table. And my dad, he looks up, and, and he says, there's a boy that just went missing in Alliance. And he got a text message on his phone. And right in that moment, we all kind of shared a moment. We were all looking at each other, and it was kind of like a, a pause for a second. And it, it, the first thing that washes through you is the emotion, the sick feeling. And the second thought is, we should go help, right? Like, that's the natural thought. You, you have the feeling, you have the, the, the parental worry over your children, and you think somebody else is going through that, we should go help. But then there's that rational side of your brain that kicks in, right? And there's a rational side of your brain that's like, ah, I mean, where would we even start? I mean, I don't know where he lives. We'd probably get in the way. I mean, the, the police probably got it handled, right? And I think that that thought process is a normal one to go through. And I'll finish the story in a minute. But what I want to draw our attention to is, do the parents of that child have that same thought process? No, they don't, do they? Like, if my child was lost in the community, I would be gone. 
I would be tearing it down because I know my kids. Some, any of y'all got kids like my kids? You know, Melissa's got a sign. It's like, uh, what is it? When, when, when it's quiet, it's when you have to worry about your kids. All the mamas know, right? If your kids are, are missing, you know what they're going through, right? Every worst thought runs through your mind. You know, the parents didn't have that thought process. They were out looking, and not only were they looking, but they'd sent text messages far and wide to as many people as they could saying, hey, come join us. We're looking for our lost child. Come join us in the search. If you would go ahead and put up the, the, the first scripture. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20 is the Great Commission. I think all of you are well familiar with it. If you would go ahead and read it with me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And go to the next one. Don't, don't leave this part out. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Can't forget that second part. That's probably the most important part, right? There are billions of people, with a B, billions of people across the earth who do not know of a God who loves them. Oswald Smith said, we talk of the second coming, but half the world has never heard of the first. They're lost in darkness. They have no hope of finding their way back on their own. They go their whole lives lost. And, and God up in heaven, he looks down on the people across the earth and he sees his children who are far from him, who are lost in the darkness. And, and as a parent, how do you think? How do you think that God feels? How do you think that God feels when he looks at his children and he sees them lost and far from him? I could tell you this. I'm not, I, I can't put words in God's mouth, but I could tell you this. He is not sitting back. He's not sitting at home. He's not waiting for them to come home to find their way back. He's out pursuing them. He's out looking for them. He's going after them. If you want to put it the next verse, Jesus, when he came on earth, this is what he said about his purpose. He said, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's his purpose. That's why he came. He came to seek and to save the lost. And 2,000 years ago, he left us with a commission, with a job. And he's still calling us today. He's still inviting us. And he's saying, come. The Holy Spirit is in the nations. And he's saying, come. Join me in the search to reach those who are far from me. When we're sitting around our table enjoying dinner with our families, in the comfort of our homes, what will our response be? How will we respond when the Holy Spirit tugs on our heart and says, come. Join me in the search. This morning, what I want to share about is why do we go to the unreached? Why do we go to the unreached? Now, when I say we, I don't mean me or Melissa or our three beautiful children. I, I don't just mean the Settle family. I don't even just mean Aberdeen First Assembly. I mean we, the global church. Why does the church join in the mission of God to go to those who are far from him? Why do we go to the unreached? You know, uh, has anybody ever been on a short-term trip? I see a couple hands. All right. I love short-term trips. 
They get a lot of flack sometimes because sometimes you're like, I'm going to go change the world, right? But usually what happens? You're the one that gets changed, right? And I don't think that's on accident. I remember of a, a trip that I took as a freshman in high school to Romania. Um, I shared my story in Sunday school, but if you missed it, here's the short version. I was a total delinquent. I was not really following God as a freshman in high school. And my parents, they were going on a month-long trip to Romania to help pastor and mentor and to make connections and relationships. And we were just kind of along for the ride. And so I went on this trip, and I did a lot of things you're not supposed to do as a missionary. You know, my, my first girlfriend was Romanian, if that gives you an idea of how that trip went. But can I tell you what? On that trip, I saw a need like I had never seen before. We went to Bucharest. Bucharest is the capital of Romania. And uh, we were doing a, a soup kitchen. So we drove up in a van, and we opened the back of the van, a big old pot of soup. We were handing out bread and bowls of soup to these people. And we pulled up, and the square was empty. And we opened the back door, and suddenly there's people coming from everywhere. And there was these people, in fact, a lot of them were kids, and their, their arms were just coated with masses of scars. I said, what's going on? They had bags in their hands, and they said, well, these people live in the sewers. They didn't have a home. They didn't have parents. They didn't have families. Um, they live in the sewers because in the wintertime, it's, it's, it's not that cold down there, and they could still survive. But they didn't have food a lot of times. They, they've been through a lot of really hard, traumatizing things. And so they have this glue in bags, and they huff the glue. They breathe it in, and it, it numbs their pain. It numbs their mind. It numbs the reality of the scars that they've borne physically and emotionally over the years. And they cut themselves because they're so numb and they want to feel something. And so they, they're bearing this representation of their lives on their arms and bodies. And I'm there as a freshman. I'd never known need like that before. The first reason that we go to the unreached is because the need is so real. The need is so real. It, it, it is so difficult for us to understand in America. There's churches on every corner, it feels like sometimes. If you would go to the next verse, Romans 10, 14, and 15 is something of a life verse for us. This verse is on our prayer cards. And, and it simply says this. In Romans 10, 13, Paul, he's talking to the church and he says, For all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's good news, Right? If you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved no matter what. But he says this, he says, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? We'll go ahead and stop there. And Paul, he's not making a, a super theologically complex point here. It's very basic. He's saying there are people who need to hear about the gospel. And if we don't send people to tell it to them, how are they going to hear? How are they going to hear and come to be saved, come to know the hope that Jesus is? Can I tell you, God transformed my life. And I was not close to him when it happened. I was a mess. And that hope that I found... He's called me to share with others. Japan is about 125 million people. That's a lot of people, right? It's about 40% of America's population. I was trying to put it into terms we can understand. I was looking at a map, and I started adding up 
all the population of the states. Started with Washington, Oregon, California, Idaho, you know, just kind of going down. And I kept on going until I hit 125 million. I got to write about Minnesota. If you go Minnesota all the way down to Texas, and you include those, and you go all the way to the West Coast, that is the population of Japan. That's a big country, right? We don't think about it as that big because it's this little island. The, the landmass of Japan is about the size of California. You know, for all of you people maybe who, who don't want to go to California because it's so populated and I'm one of those people, God called me to Japan. So it's like, come on, man. 125 million people and 124 million of them. That's more, that's less than 1%. Fewer than 1% of the people in Japan know Jesus. In fact, depending on the statistics you look at, it's closer to one-third. One-third of 1%. If you grow up there, you have almost no hope. Almost no hope of knowing Jesus. You know, we, we talk about the reality of what it means to be unreached. And I think you have this idea cognitively, but it's when you really get there and experience it that it hits you. I remember the day that it hit me. We were in Africa, and my daughter was much shorter and much cuter than she is now. Um, she was about three years old. Uh, we got there, she was 16 months. And when she was three, we put her into a nursery school. And so the idea was helping her learn the language, to build friends, to, to, to really love living in Africa. But it was a Muslim country. We lived in a village of 10,000 people, 100% Muslims. There was one man I knew who was a believer. And we were worried, you know, they're going to teach her Islam in this school. And they're like, no, it's a French school. It's a French uh, nursery school, so it'll be safe. So, okay, no problem. So I remember uh, a couple months after she'd been in school, I was walking in to pick her up. And I would walk by the first classroom, and she was in the second one. And I looked in, and all the kids were in trouble. In a verse, I'm kind of laughing to myself, you know, because they're all up against the blackboard. But then I got really serious because the teacher had this yardstick in her hand. She was sitting down. She hit the desk. Whack! Say it again! And all of the students in the sing-song voice, Allah c'est mon Dieu. Allah is my God. And suddenly, I had a total dad reaction. I was ticked. I was afraid. I had this outrage. I had just shock washed over me because my daughter was being exposed to Islam, and I had no idea. And so I went to the next class, and I pulled my daughter out, and I'm like, you know what? I don't know what to do, but I'm not going to make a scene now. I'll go drop her off. I'll talk to a friend, and then I'll come back, and maybe we'll see about making a scene, you know. And so I, I, I'm walking home, just <clears throat> so angry, you know. And I drop her off, and I'm going to go talk to my friend Muhammad. Muhammad was the man I mentioned earlier, the believer in the village. He'd found a French Bible. Thankfully, he had a French education. He spoke well enough that when he read the Bible, it spoke to him profoundly. And he gave his life to Christ, and a missionary mentored him along in the faith. And I was walking up, and I'm like, you know what? He'll know what I should do. If I should pull her out, or if I should go chew these teachers out, or what, what should I do? How do I? I don't want to make any mistakes. So I, I go up, and I'm about to pound on the door. And the reality of the situation hits me like a pile of bricks. And I almost, I almost start crying. See, Muhammad had gotten married to a woman who was not a Muslim, because he couldn't, or who was not a Christian, because he couldn't find a Christian wife. But she was at least listening to him when they got married about Jesus. And as soon as, the, as soon as they got married, her parents realized that he was a Christian, and they threatened her. They said, "If you 
continue to listen to this man, we will disown you. We will disown you. You will be poor. You will be a pariah. You will be persecuted by your neighbors, your friends, your family. Nobody will associate with you. Nobody will help you. And in Africa, that's a very big deal. And so she, she turned her back on Muhammad. They got married, but she said, I'm not listening to you about this Jesus stuff. And Muhammad was pregnant. He was having a beautiful little baby girl. It was born while we were there. And I was about to pound on his door and complain about my daughter possibly being exposed to Islam when his daughter was going to grow up in it her entire life, living in the darkness, when, when his daughter was going to be told that her dad is an idiot, that he doesn't know what he's talking about, he's a fool, who knows about this Jesus stuff, have you heard about those Christians? And she was going to be exposed to this her entire life, and I was so upset that my daughter might have been exposed once or twice, and that moment, it really hit me that this is what it means to live in a place that is unreached. We send missionaries to go to these places because the need is so real. And people like Muhammad, they need help reaching their own. We saw a church planted. I'll tell a story about it in a little bit. But Muhammad was no longer the only Christian, and he had a family. And that family came around him. You know, as a missionary going to these hard places, it really sometimes kind of messes you up because you're there to tell people about Jesus, but you know that if you tell somebody about Jesus and they, and they begin to believe and they turn their back on an Islam or, they, or whatever it is in Japan, it's, it's Shinto and Buddhism, they turn their backs on their families, you know that it's going to cost them everything. It's going to cost them. And it's like, I want to share with them, but I know what it'll cost them. Knowing Jesus is worth the cost. Knowing Jesus is worth the cost. And those and those pe- those situations and those contexts, when people give their lives to Christ, they don't do it cheaply. They do it having counted the cost. And they know, they've tasted and they've seen that God is worth so much more. Can I ask you, do you know that this morning? Do you know the value of the relationship of God that you have been given? You know, sometimes I remember um, growing up in church, I would be upset because I wanted to sleep in. You know, I, I, I was grumpy because I was going to lose a little bit of sleep. I was upset that my relationship with God was costing me sleep. And these people are losing their lives. Matthew 13 says this, if you'd go ahead and put it up. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and he covered it up. And then in his joy... In his joy, he goes and he sells everything that he has and he buys that field. He finds this field, this treasure in this field, and he's like, this treasure is worth more than everything that I own, and I want it. And so I'm going to get rid of everything I have so that I can have that treasure. And Jesus says, that's what a king, the kingdom of God is like. That's what it's like to have this relationship with God because this relationship is of infinite value. And can I tell you, that's not to say that it's all drudgery and pain and hard hardship. It's understanding that in God, if you have God, you have everything there is to have. He loves you. He will provide for you. He will care for you. But, but sometimes we have things that we have to let go of. And if we have found this treasure of infinite value, 
how can we keep it to ourselves? How do we keep it to ourselves? I remember when, when God was transforming my life, you know, I had turned my back on God and I'd walked away from him, and I was a mess. And he, he drew me back to him, and I got plugged in this church, and he began just doing so many amazing things. And every week, I'd be weeping at the graciousness and kindness of God, and something happened that never happened before. I had this incredible desire to go and tell other people, because I had found this treasure. And I was like, you guys have got to try this. Number one, we go because the need is real. Number two, we go because we have the hope that the world needs. The world needs, they need this. They need the hope that we carry. You know, in America, I think sometimes we get an idea about, not on purpose, I think, but we get this idea of what the, the world needs is they need our help. The world doesn't need America. They don't need our Americanism. They don't need our American culture. They don't, they don't even need our money. They need the true treasure that we have, the true treasure that we have. That's a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is what the world needs. Jesus is the hope of the world. Pastor Masaki, he's one of my favorite people on earth. You ever been around that guy who's just so full of joy that when you're around him, he just makes you feel better? That was Pastor Masaki. Um, and one day, I was working in the office with him. And he had this uh, stamp. It was the church's stamp. We call it a honko. It's basically how you sign official documents in Japan. They don't do signatures. They use your official stamp. So we were using the church's stamp, and he was laughing. He was saying, you know, this makes me feel so guilty when I do this. He said, it's not wrong, but it reminds me of when I borrowed my brother's honko, and I took a $5,000 bank loan out, and then I blew it all in gambling. I was like, What? <laughs> He said this casually. Like, I knew that he'd had gambling issues growing up, but I didn't know it was like hardcore gambling addiction. See, Pastor Masaki was a gambling addict, and he burned every bridge that he had, and he ended up homeless on the streets. I don't know if you know, but Japan is not a second-chance society. Honor and shame is a very real thing. And so if you have burned those bridges, that's it, you're done. But his family, they were kind to him. They said, you know what? After 10 years of homelessness, they said, we'll give you one last chance. We heard about a program called Teen Challenge. Have you ever heard of Teen Challenge? I love Teen Challenge. It's a discipleship program where you learn about Jesus. And he went through Teen Challenge, and it transformed his life. It broke the things that he could not break on his own. And he gave his, he gave his life wholeheartedly to Christ. And in three years, he was leading a new Teen Challenge site as the director. Shortly after that, he became a pastor. We worked together, and in December, I think it was December of 2019, we sent him out to plant a church in Japan. He's planting a church in one of the least reached countries in the world because he had hope. The hope was Jesus, and that was what he needed. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 says this. It says, you are the light of the world. I'm going to stop there. You are. You are the light of the world. You have the light that the world needs. Do you believe that? I want you to repeat after me. I am the light of the world. Does that feel weird? Let me try one more time. I am the light of the world. There's kind of a heaviness there, isn't there? What are we going to do with that light? Like the song says, this little light of mine. 
Are you going to hide it under a bush? Oh, no. Are you going to let Satan blow it out? I'm going to let it shine. I want to let that light shine here in Aberdeen, across South Dakota, across America, through the ends of the earth. We go overseas. We go to these difficult places. We send people who we love because we have the hope that they need, and they will not hear otherwise. Number three, we go because we want to be with God. Now, you're like, huh? We'll get there. Hang on. These last few years have been uh, interesting, right? That's the word interesting. Ah, how's it going? I'm fine. Fine. There, things, things are interesting. They're interesting. It's one of those like loaded words, you know? It's like you don't really want to tell everybody how it's going, but it's rough. These last few years in America have been pretty rough, haven't they? COVID-19 changed the face of the earth. Everybody's feeling that. The worst political dissension we've seen in my life, probably in your life too, I imagine. Just the incredible vitriol you've seen. Stories of abuse and scandal in the church. Those are the ones I think that cut me deepest. Racism, race wars, race riots, all this division. Overseas, you have war in Myanmar and Burma. You have World War III possibly happening in Russia is what people are saying for a while there. All the talks of nuclear weapons. In, in Africa, you have Muslims killing Christians. You know, it seems like every time you turn around, something worse is happening, doesn't it? And sometimes you just kind of feel beat down. Anybody else ever felt that? That sense of, God, what is going on? I, I, I went through the season where I was praying, God, is this, is this your bride? Is this church the church that you're coming back for? What's going on, God? And this is what God spoke to me. He said, not surprised. God isn't surprised. God, when COVID-19 hit, he didn't take his calendar and throw it in the trash. God has never had to change his plans, ever. None of this is news to him. And here's the good news. God is not playing defense. God's not playing defense. He's, he's not on his heels. The enemy has not struck God a good one. No, God, his plans are active. He is working in the earth. He has never stopped. He is sovereign and he is in control. In spite of how it seems like everything's just going to pot, as I heard somebody say. It looks like that, but God, he's working something out that's going to be beautiful. And he's never stopped. The Holy Spirit has never stopped. And today he is still active in the earth and he's calling us. He's saying, hey, come be with me. Come be with me. Come do what I'm doing. Get your eyes off the headlines. Get your eyes off what the enemy wants you to be thinking about and join in my purpose, in my mission on this earth. Yumiko was a, a woman who wrestled with depression on, a, on a, a serious level. She said she would long to commit suicide. You know, in Japan, you take the trains everywhere, and she'd go to the train station, and, and she would just stare at the trains and, and imagine herself jumping in front of one, longing for the pain in her heart to stop. And thankfully, she didn't do that. She didn't throw herself in front of a train. Instead, she walked into a church, which is almost a miracle because there's not very many in Japan. And in that church, the pastor's wife told her of the love of God. And she said when she first heard it, couldn't believe it. 
It's like, there's no way. You tell me there's a God that loves me? There's no way. She could not believe it. And one day, the people in the church were laying on hands on her. They were praying for her. And she said she heard the voice of God speak directly to her. And he said this. He said, I see your pain. I see your suffering. And I love you. And that thing, that depression over her was broken. She gave her life to the Lord. And she has joy like you would not believe. When we got to Africa, I was sharing this story this morning. We got there and they said, you didn't bring God with you. He was here before you got here. And we saw that firsthand. There was a woman named Jamalia. And she was a hardcore alcoholic. And, and, and she was trying to break free from this thing. And she couldn't. And she was talking to her husband, like, I'm trying to, trying to stop. I'm trying to stop. What do I do? And he said, you know what? Don't pray to Allah. Pray to Jesus. She didn't know who Jesus was. She had never heard of him before. She, she got down on her hands, on her knees, and she prayed that night, and she was healed instantly. And that thing was broken on her. You know, we had gone there to tell people about Jesus. That was our purpose, but we couldn't do it because we didn't speak the language yet. But the Holy Spirit's hands were not tied. And our, 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 our teammate walked into that restaurant shortly afterwards, and they said, hey, would you tell us about Jesus? I mean, we had done all those years of hard work, right? All that sewing and all the digging the rocks out. We did all that work, right? No, that was, as, as we say, that was a floater. <laughs> the Holy Spirit had done the work before us. As Jesus said, we were reaping fields where we hadn't sown. God did the miracle before we ever met her. Can I tell you, when we go on mission to reach the unreached, we are going to be part of what God is doing on the earth. That's why we go. We go to join in what God is doing. We go to be with God. The need is real, and we have the hope that they need. Let's go be part of what God is doing on this earth. He's not on defense. He's not worried. He's at work, and he's never stopped. And his heart is for his lost children. The Masakis, the Yumikos, the DJs, there's so many others across the earth that we know nothing about. He sees them. In the heart of a father, it beats for them, and, and that Holy Spirit is pursuing them. And this morning is inviting us to continue to be part of what he's doing. You know, if there's anything that I learned from COVID, it's that you can get tired of Netflix. Anybody else? <laughs> you know, I, I, I spent a lot of years chasing after the world. The world's got nothing for me. For me, Psalm 73 says, it's good to be near God. It is good to be near him. I want to be part of what he is doing. God has called us to go to Osaka, Japan. He has given us an opportunity to plant churches. He has opened miraculous doors that we could not open ourselves, and he's put us together with people who we, the exact right people that we couldn't find, he paired us together. And God is opening doors, and I believe that when we go to open a place that has not seen an AG missionary for 30 years, that he is going to continue working in the hearts and lives of the people, because that's who he is. And he can't help himself, and he's inviting us to be part of what he's doing. And we want to raise up pastors who have their doors open, they tell people that Jesus loves you. 
And he wants to break that depression. He wants to break that addiction. He wants to break that bondage. He wants to give hope to you. We want to raise it pastors who raise it pastors who raise it pastors. And it's our dream that one day Japan will not be the second least reached country in the world. It's our dream that it will no longer be unreached. And I know that that's on the heart of God also. We go because the need is real. We have the hope. And we want to be with God. You know, this morning I started sharing the story of that boy that was lost in Alliance, Nebraska. And, and we had this thought process going through our minds. We had these hesitations, but it was pretty easy. It was like, okay, well, we'll just go do what we can do. You know, sometimes that's all you can do. Whatever I can help, whatever help I can give, I'm going to go do that. So we all, we all went and we piled in our van and we were driving around the streets. It's about a town of 10,000 people. We're, we're calling his name. And can I tell you, it was the most beautiful thing when we got out on those streets. 10,000 people, there must have been 1,000 other people looking for this boy. They were in the cornfields with their big old giant laser beam flashlights, looking for him, calling his name. They were going door to door, looking through the playgrounds, and that boy was found. And can I tell you, that is a picture of what the church is called to be. That we would not be huddled at home around our tables, but that we would be going out into our neighborhoods, into our communities, into the people here in Aberdeen and in, in Kenya and in Japan and across the world. That we would join in the search and find those that are lost and far from God. I know sometimes I, people say, what can I do? How can I be part? I don't know anything about this. There's three simple things that we can all do. The first one is prayer. I was saying this earlier. You know, a lot of times I think we think of as prayer as the easy one, right? But the truth is that it's not money that's our most valuable asset, is it? It's time. A lot of times somebody asks for prayer and we say, I'll pray for you. And maybe we whisper a prayer in that moment. But do we tarry? Do we linger? Do we continue fighting the battle on our knees? I believe that prayer is the reason that DJ was saved from alcoholism in Africa. I believe that, that prayer changes things. And God calls us to prayer, and we need your prayer. Would you pray so that lives would be changed? Would you linger and tarry and fight in prayer so that the loss would be reached in Japan and across the earth? Number two, the, something that you can do that's so tangible it's just to simply give. We talk a lot about giving. I don't know that I need to say a lot about it, but I'll say this. The lost will not be reached without boots on the ground. Boots on the ground, invading what the enemy is wrongfully claiming as his. They are not his people. And we need to put boots on the ground in these unreached places. And the only way to do that is to give so that they can be there. When you give, you are actively part. You have credit in all of these stories, whether or not you know it, in the changing and the transforming of lives. And number three, if you know that God is calling you to go, I want to challenge you and encourage you to go. You might not feel qualified. You not, might not feel capable. But God can be your sufficiency. He can, he can do what you cannot do. If you are called to go, he will equip you. 
He will teach you. He will train you. He will put the right people around you. You have to take those steps of obedience to be faithful in the seasons where he has you to begin to follow the call on your life. Will you go? And if you would say, it's not my call, take a moment. Look around. Look around. How many people are here? Is there somebody here who has a call in their life to go? Is there somebody here? Maybe they're in kids' church right now. I was seven years old when I, when I first knew that I was called to be a missionary. Is there somebody here that we can come around, that we can equip, that we can support, that we can send? Would you send them as part of your going? And say yes to the call of God on your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you. God, we thank you. God, I thank you so much that it is not all on my shoulders. It's not all on our shoulders, Lord God, that, that we get to partner in what you are doing, Lord God. I thank you, Father, that this is not a weight that we are meant to bear by ourselves, but that we do it in partnership with you. God, I pray for the encouragement of your spirit, Lord God. I pray for the supernatural provision, Lord God, that as we take steps of faith, Lord, to, to pray with our time, to give of our time, Lord, that you would multiply the time that we have and bless those people who are giving their time in prayer. And more than that, God, I pray that that prayer would move mountains, Lord God. God, I pray that people would be healed of addictions and bondages, Lord God. Father, I pray, I pray that hope would go forth your hope, the good news that you love us and you died for us, would go forth and change and transform the world. Thank you, Father, that we get to be part of your mission on this earth. Amen. Thank you so much, Jeremy. Um, man, just powerful what God is doing. I love hearing the stories of, of how God moved while you guys were, were in Africa. And I believe you're going to be, you know, three, four years from now, you're going to be back here sharing similar stories of how God was already there. God was already there before you even showed up to Osaka. And uh, I believe God's going to be doing some powerful things through you guys and, and through this church. Uh, we get to be there, their hands extended. We get to send them. We get to help them to go and, uh, and pray for them just like he was just sharing. So uh, a few different things that we can do today of how we can get involved, how we can partner with this. And the first one is uh, we can give. We can give. So I want to give you some instructions on how to do that today. Uh, today, if you've got an offering envelope, it's in the back of the pew in front of you. You can also give through text, uh, give online. All the instructions are, are up on the screen, the, the number. Uh, but I encourage you, just write, you can write missionary, you can write settles on there. And anything that's not marked, if it's not marked ties or offerings, every, everything's going to go to them today. Um, the offering plates are in the back. So before you leave today, just drop that in. Um, thank you for giving. We want to give you that opportunity. Uh, to do that. The, the second thing uh, is before you leave today, go, go by their booth and pick up a prayer card. Pick up a prayer card because our missionaries need prayer. You know, we mentioned giving first, but the, the most important thing, like they just said, the most important thing we can do is, is pray. And I believe that's how, um, you know, when they get there and they're going to see some mountains move, they're going to see some great winds happen. It's because we've been praying. 
It's because we as a church came together and said, you know, we're going to give our time. We're going to spend time praying for them every day. We're going to pray for Jeremy and Melissa, for all of their kids, for Finn, for Kai, for Raya. And uh, we're just going to go chase after heaven for them and believe that God is going to do incredible things. So grab one of these guys uh, before you leave today and also check them out at their booth. Uh, See, there's some other prayer resources that you can grab out there and just may your heart be stirred for Japan, just as theirs was, because I believe God's going to do some incredible things as we partner with this couple. So why don't we, let's just pray for the offering, and then we're going to pray for our missionaries in just a minute. So Jesus, we thank you. God, we we hold these offerings in our hand. God, we believe that you are going to do an incredible work, God, through the settles. Uh, So Lord, we just pray that you would uh, help us to give uh, sacrificially today. God, help us to give joyfully. God, knowing that your kingdom is going to be expanded and your kingdom is going to be furthered. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, one last thing before we're dismissed today. Uh, Jeremy and Melissa, would you, would you stand? Why don't you come right down here? We always want to send our missionaries off with, with prayer. And uh, so why, why doesn't everybody just stand up with me right now? And, and if we could have several people, just come on down and surround this family right here. And uh, let's lay our hands on them and let's pray for them. So come on down. Don't be shy. And uh, let's, let's pray for this family. We're believing that God is going to do incredible things uh, over this term that they're on and, and uh, what God is going to do through them. So let's pray this morning. Jesus, I thank you for Jeremy and Melissa. God, I thank you that the call, for the call that's on their life. God, that even as young kids, God, that you had called them. They, they may have wandered off a time or two, but God, now they're on that right path. They're following after you, and they're living out uh, the purpose that you have for them. So God, I pray for your blessing. God, that your blessing would be on, on each one of them, on each one of their kids, that as they go, that you would, uh, God, keep them safe. God, that you would also just put a passion on their heart like they've never experienced before, that every day their passion would grow as they're, they're waiting to go back home, waiting to go back to Japan and, and reach the people there. God, I pray for open doors as they want to plant the church uh, in, in Osaka. God, that open doors would happen so that they can get in there, can plant the church, that this would be a church that, that grows, that thrives, that they wouldn't just plant one, but they would plant hundreds of churches, that you would rise up pastors uh, in Japan, God, that they, they would grow and they would learn and, and they would be able to lead uh, their people. So God, I pray that you would just help them to be trainers uh, when they're over there. God, I, I just pray for your blessing that you would help them uh, as they're, they're learning the language, as their kids are learning the language and getting involved in schools and building relationships, that you would bless them every step of the way, that you would help them to raise the, the budget, all the finances that they need, God, so they can do the work that you've called them to. So God, would you bless this family? God, as they, they faithfully said, yes, we will go. And God, would you move powerfully in Japan today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Well, thank you for praying. Guys, thank you for coming. Be sure to check them out at their booth before you go today. Uh, Have a blessed week, AFA.